All right. Well, good morning, guys. Good morning. I'm so excited to be here. Who is the one person who knows of Azusa Pacific University? Yes. Oh, wow. A lot of you guys do. Okay. One cheer. All right. Great. Awesome. Um, well, hey, my name is Kobe, and I'm so excited to be with you all this morning. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Pastor Scott, I just, I love coming here this morning. Like, this is a beautiful church building, a beautiful group of people. We get to spend time worshiping Jesus together. And it was interesting, as I was talking to my dad last night, he was like telling me the story about how you guys met in this church planting process. Because my dad planted, and well, and our family and a group of families planted LifePoint Christian Church uh, the same year that this church was planted. Uh, in Elk Grove, so not too far from here. And I guess they've met and connected over the years and continue to talk ministry, talk life, talk church, all that kind of stuff, which is great. Um, and, and the crazy part about this, and I don't believe this is, an, this is an accident, but it's interesting because later you come find out they went to the exact same high school, right? So they had the exact same mentor. Like, they're, they're the same DNA, right? And so, like, they're, like basically, I, you know, I, I should call you dad, I guess. I don't know. Like, maybe too far. I don't know. <laughs> But hey, uh, as much as like we, we don't necessarily know each other, uh, there's one thing that is true. There's, for many of us, we look at the Bible as truth. We look at the Bible as the inspired Word of God that today, in 2019, we get to read the Bible. And we get to learn from the Bible. We get to talk about the Bible and how it is applicable for us today. It was written so long ago, but there is truth found inside. And, and, and it's actually applicable to us today. So for a couple minutes, we're going to talk about how this book, the Bible, is applicable to us. And, and, I, and I just really uh, thank you for welcoming me here this morning. Now, now one thing you, you have to know about me is I am extremely competitive. Right? Like Zach brought up the fact that I love the game Catan because there, there's something about me that I love a good game. I love competing. Like, and I actually have learned over the years that I've had to turn it down. Right? Like there's certain environments where you're like, Kobe, like, you can't be that competitive. All right, like, Zach, like, you know, you're working with students, right? Like, you know, like, there's always that kid who's way too competitive. It's like, come on, dude, like, we're playing dodgeball at youth group. Like, chill out a little, right? And I'm like, no, this is, like, everything to me. I'm that kid, all right? I'm that kid. I'm the kid. But part of what I love about youth ministry, I I, I get to uh, help uh, run the youth ministry at my church uh, in Elk Grove, and and I love using games and, and fun to reach students. Because it's like, like the, the video mentioned this morning, it's a great way to break down walls and to, to get to know kids and to have fun and be competitive. Like Every person deep down has, you might not be as crazy as me, but every person has a bit of competitiveness within them. And so you working in youth ministry, I love this. And, and one of my favorite games of all time, I, I learned it when I was younger, it's called Fugitive. Now, you might, you might have different, ga- different names for this game, but essentially in youth ministry, what we do um, is, is we'll gather the students at a location, okay? Like call it point A. And you gather all the students and you go to a house and you, and you hang out for a little bit, you have a little party, and then you gather them in the front yard, right? And you say, all right, everybody type this into your phone, we're going to go to a second location, And so maybe a mile or two away, you have a second location that all the students are going to run on foot to this next location. And you're like, oh, no, this I see where this is going. So we had all the the leaders and the adults and the great volunteers that do youth ministry, and we bring them together, and we put them in cars, right? And we give them one of these things, a bright flashlight. All right, like it's, it's at night, it's dark outside, and the kids are running on foot. And literally, adults are like driving through the streets, like hunting for a kid anywhere they can find him. 
It's amazing. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, got to, I learned this game a couple years ago when I was younger. I was actually in youth group at the time. I was visiting another church, and I came back to my youth pastor. And I was like, we have to play this game. <laughs> And so I pitched it to him, and we started playing. We played for years, and eventually it got out of control. We, we had too many people running through the streets of Elk Grove, and we said, we'll never play this again. So it's no longer a youth event. But what's so fun about this is you're running as a kid through the streets, like, in the dark. You're like, yeah, like, I'm getting excited, right? Because, like, I'm so competitive, and it's, like, the ultimate game of, like, hide-and-seek plus tag plus everything, and kind of illegal, right? Like, right? I mean, let's be honest. But why this game is so fun is because you're playing in the dark, and as people like drive through the streets, so they're hunting for you. You can imagine this, right? And like, you know, I'm I'm there. Like, you have a bush here. Like, okay, here's a little bush, right? And I won't be able to hide behind this thing. But you see a car coming down the road, and you're like, whoop! Oh, <laughs> welcome to adventure, Kobe. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Pastor. <laughs> so we're going to actually play Fugitive right now. No? <laughs> but why this game is so fun is because you're in the dark, you're having fun, you're running from people, it's so much crazy. And I was going to like do a little thing, but I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to stand here, okay? Because I don't want to like get hurt. <laughs> but why I think this game is such a success is because it's played in the dark. Right, like imagine for a moment, like you say, okay, let's all go run to this house in the light, and there's cars driving everywhere, and it's just kind of weird, and you're like, this doesn't make sense. Right, like you can see every car that drives by, you can see every movement everywhere, like it's not as fun because it's a successful game because it's played in the dark. Does that make sense? Like you're, you're running from cars in the dark, and you're, and you're running through the streets and all this stuff, and it's dark outside, so you add the adrenaline, for me that's amazing, and for everyone else it's great because you can get behind a bush and you can hide. But the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, darkness is a little scary. I think that's why kids like, love this game, or, or adults, whatever. Like, we love this kind of game because it's, it's dark, and it's a little bit scary, and a little bit weird, and it's, it's uncomfortable. And I think for all of us, we can agree that darkness is a little bit scary. Right? Like, when the, house, when, the, when the lights are turned off in the house, it feels a little uncomfortable. You're, like, reaching for the nearest light. You're getting your phone out to shine, the, to, to shine your flashlight, right? You know what I'm talking about. Because what's interesting is if we were to like, turn off all the lights in this entire room, the, the room would be exactly the same, but there's just, there's just no light. So the space is exactly the same. The space is itself. Like we're here, we each exist in this space. We're here this morning, and if we turned off all the lights, it would just be black. It would just be dark. So that space doesn't actually change, but the, but the light is no longer there. You're following with me, right? Now, many of us know what this is. This is a, a nightlight, right? Does anybody have this in their home? I'm not saying you, I know. You're like, oh, I use the nightlight still, right? Like, but, oh, by the way, actually, I, I, I was uh, telling, talking to some kids about it, and they're like so ashamed, like high school students still using nightlights. Like, no, dude, it's good. You're good. You can use a nightlight. It's fine. But it's interesting because I Googled this. I said, What's the purpose of a nightlight? Like, let's just have fun for a moment. Let's run with it a little bit. And I, I looked this up. What is the purpose of a nightlight? And I, I chuckled when I read it. It said, a nightlight is for safety and comfort. And I was like, huh. 
So this, you're telling me this brings me safety. Okay. So when someone like, I don't know, breaks into my home, I'm going to, whoop. <laughs> like that's not how that works, right? Why does this work? This works because the darkness scares us. And a little bit of light, a little bit of light in the corner of the room lights up just enough so that we can kind of see the walls and we can know that the boogie monster's not coming at us. We can know that the monster under the bed is not going to attack us. Like the light, the little bit of light that this brings, brings just enough so that we can feel comfort, we can feel safe, we can feel like we can fight off the bad guy. But there's many things about who we are that we, we operate in the light. We prefer the light. And scientifically, it's shown that as humans, we aren't made to operate in the darkness. Right? Like, scientifically, your mind starts to shut off at night. Your mind, like, as the sun sets, you start to, like, kind of turn off. You start to mellow out. You start to turn it off. You start to prepare for bed. So there's something within each and every one of us that darkness is kind of that signal to us. You know, it's actually shown for those who work the night shift, like, the, you know, year after year for an extended period of time, they're often prone to, like, depression or, or on health or something like that because there's something in us that's wired for the light. Like, we're made to be in the light. And even, you know, scientifically, it's, experts are starting to say that it's really bad for, for people, like young people, to be on their phone right before bed. Now, obviously, it's unhealthy for everyone, but they're starting to see, like, kids, like, the last thing they do in the, uh, at night is look at their phone. They're, like, scrolling through Instagram and Facebook and all, the, all that stuff, and, and then they close their, their, their eyes to fall asleep, and they can't fall asleep. They have trouble sleeping. Why? Because we're, we're not wired that way. We're not meant to just be on and off with light just in our eyes soaking this up. Folks, we, we, we were made for the light. And since the beginning of time, God instituted light over the universe and said, let there be light. He said, there will be light in the universe and that will bring life. It's the very first thing that's instituted over all of creation. And we read in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. What is darkness? Darkness is simply the absence of light. Because again, if we took off all the lights in this room, it would be the exact same space. Nothing's different. There's just an absence of light. So how do you light up the darkness? You add light. You don't, you don't add darkness to light to make it dark. You take away light. Because light is the ultimate power. Light is what brings life. Light is, what you, is when you can see. Since the beginning of time, God instituted light over creation to give us light. And throughout Scripture, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, it talks about light versus darkness. This illustration for us is, is intertwined throughout Scripture so that we can see there's a clear difference between the two. Light and darkness. Life and death. 
And it, and it evolves over time. It looks different over time of what this actually means because there's the Old Testament and the New Testament and it actually kind of changed over time and that's what we're going to look at. It's used both in reality and in spirituality. So let's explore that. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I mean, that, that's kind of like this illustration, right? Like, whom shall I fear? I have a light. Like, God is our light. John 1, 1, through, uh, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was that God. You, many of you know this, but let's, let's keep reading. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And let's read John 8 through 12, where it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he's he's speaking. Jesus actually claims, I am the light. I am the light of the world. Jesus says, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Throughout Scripture, there is intertwined this illustration for us of light and darkness. And I think we need to hone in on this and to realize what this actually means for our life. Because many of us have been walking in the light for a long time. Many of you come here every single week and have been Christians and have had a relationship with Jesus for some time. Not all of you, I'm not, I'm not saying everyone in this room, but, but a lot of us have. A lot of us have seen the life that Jesus brings to our life. Many of us have a powerful testimony where Jesus interrupted our life, interrupted our history, and changed everything for us. Many of us can say amen to the fact that Jesus is our Savior. And these are just only some of the verses. In John 12, 35-36, it says, Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Yeah, that's common sense, right? But it says, believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. We're called to be children of light. And it's weird how it says that God, God is like our light, to Jesus says, you are the light, to saying that the light is within you, that you are the children of light. How throughout Scripture it evolves over time, that is, God is the light, to Jesus is the light, to now you are the light. In Ephesians 5, 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are the light. You have the light within you. I'm not calling you Jesus, but Jesus is within you. And in Psalm 119, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Many of us know this to be beautifully true. Many of us worship God because we've seen this truth in our life. Many of us know that this, this, this verse like ring, brings, brings home this whole idea that God lights our path in front of us. That, it, that as I walk around, it's kind of like God is, is showing me the way. He's leading the way for me. He's saying, Kobe, like, I know something better. And it's kind of like we're playing that squirrel game. We're like, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. But God's saying, no, 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 no. I have a way that's so much better. 
I know the way. Follow me and there will be life, life everlasting. Many of us know this to be true. Many of us in this room have lived this out and have experienced this thing called life in Jesus. But I want to tell a story this morning. I want to tell a story to you guys that, 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 that changed my life forever. This is a personal story. This is something that happened to me years ago that forever, it's one of those moments like it was just a night, it was just an evening, but it forever changed the trajectory of my life. Can I share that story with you? So I remember at LifePoint Christian Church, a couple years ago, we, I was in the youth group at the time. So I would have been, you know, Zach would have been my youth pastor. I would have been going and loving him and loving Nine Square and all the things that you do at youth group and talking about Jesus. And it was an awesome space. And our youth pastor kept telling us, like, hey, invite people, invite people, invite people. And it, contrary to what you might think, like, this was very, very difficult for me. Like, as a young high school student, I felt uncomfortable inviting people to church. I was like, come to me to, like, this building where we, like, fold our hands, close our eyes, and talk to someone you can't see. I was like, how do you communicate this? Right? But what happens is he kept telling me, like, hey, just invite him to youth group. Just invite him, just invite him, and just invite him. So I went to my high school, and I invited my friends. And I'll never forget, like, it's so, like, in my brain, because I was so, like, mad at the time. Because I was inviting my friends, and there was this kid behind me, like, outside of our circle, that, like, overheard me inviting my friends. And he was, like, my high school bully. Right? Like, I don't want to be near him. I don't want to talk to him. But he overheard me talking about, like, this thing called youth group. And he was like, hey, can I come? And I was like, it's the one place I can get away from you, bro. But what am I going to say? No, don't come experience Jesus. Right? Like, I can't say that. So I was like, sure, bro. Come with me to youth group. Dang it. <laughs> but he was the only one that came that night. And I remember, like, I will never forget the time, this moment. Like, there was kind of this stage area. And it was, you know, a small room than this. It was a couple uh, high school and middle school students. And in the corner, we had a cross. And I will never forget, like, this illustration that he used. He said, like, hey, fill something out on a car that you, like, that you know you shouldn't have done. You, sh- you know you regret. And the youth pastor was kind of talking through this, right? And he said, hey, take this little piece of paper and put it on the cross. Like, Jesus is bigger than our problems. Jesus can handle it. Like, come to him with it. Repent and have a dialogue with Jesus. It was this beautiful illustration of how we can actually come to Jesus in all of our brokenness. And he gave this illustration. I remember seeing the cross, and I remember like praying about it and praying about my own life. And I was, I was very like thinking through my spiritual walk with Jesus and like all that kind of stuff. And I remember sitting in the chair, and I remember like just praying to God, like having this moment, looking up at the cross, like while the worship was going. I, I just remember it's like in my brain. You ever have a memory like that? It's like you know it's in your brain. I remember like sitting there. And I had my eyes closed, and all of a sudden, I felt the chair next to me, like, move. And I was like, what? And I look up, and my friend here, who had come to church with me for the very first time, was, like, making a movement to the cross. And I was like, yo, this, this must be a mistake. 
right? Like, like, no, 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 like, this is a mistake, right? Like, he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Let me, let me paint the picture for you. He, his whole family, like, does not go to church. His brother doesn't go to church. His parents don't go to church. Like, nobody in his family tree has ever gone to church. There's no reason he should even be here right now. He speaks out against the Bible. He speaks out, he speaks out against the church. He speaks out against it all. There's no reason he should even be here. And all of a sudden, I feel the chair next to me move, and I'm like, like, yo, are you going to the bathroom? Like, like, where are you going, bro? And he goes up to the cross. He puts his name on the cross. I will never forget that night. Because it was one of those nights that changed my life forever. And it sure as heck changed his. Because him putting his name on that cross represented him exploring Jesus for the very first time. I get emotional even talking about it. Because what happened was, for the rest of our high school experience, he became one of those like main dudes in the youth group. He was a leader. He started taking his artistic ability, he started using it for the church. He started playing on stage worship. He, he, he served with the kids like better than anyone I knew. Every single week he was serving with the kids. Like That's the kind of volunteer we want. He made a decision that evening to follow Jesus when all else did not seem right. There was no reason he should have been there. There was certainly no reason he should have made any decision for Jesus. But what happened in that moment, something grabbed onto his heart. And many of us know that. Something grabbed onto his heart in this moment that was like, you aren't enough on your own. There's more to our life. Like, I want to light your path in front of you. He didn't understand it at the time, but Jesus was grabbing hold of his heart and was asking if he wanted more. I had a realization that evening because I I, I mentioned before that it changed my life forever. And yes, it changed his life forever, but it also changed mine. Why did it change my life? Because I realized something that evening. I realized that there is a power within me. I realized that there was no way on my own that I would have invited that young man to church and he would have came to do anything like what happened. I realized in that moment that there's something else going on here. That when the Bible says that you are the light, there's, there's, that's, that's different, that's weird. But I realized in this moment that I was missing something the entire time. There was an aspect of it that I had been missing. See, the Holy Spirit intervened in the most powerful way that evening and grabbed hold of his heart and said, Hey, son, come here. I want to walk with you in this life. And there was no way ever that I would have been able to do that on my own. So in that moment, I realized, I realized, and that sent me on a journey to discover what this was about. Because something miraculous happened. Like something supernatural, something divine happened that evening that I could not explain on my own. Why in the world would this ever happen? Because I realized I had been missing something. I realized that Psalm 119 was my reality. I realized that as I walked about my life, I I knew God. I knew Jesus. I had a relationship with Him. 
I knew that as, as Psalm 119 said, like I can see the way in front of me. Because God lights my path. God lights my path. You know this to be true for your own life. But what I failed to read was Matthew 5. Read that. Look to the screen. Matthew 5, 14 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And, and you imagine, I don't Sermon of the Mount, like it's on this massive hill, so they're actually watching Jesus say that. And I imagine they kind of turn their head and look off the mountainside. You know, they, they're actually like, this is a physical illustration here that they can hear this and see this and like think like, yes, a hill on a mountain cannot be easily hidden. Instead, they put it on a stand. Uh, sorry, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that you may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, the... the the way I was living my life was, oh, seizure light, okay. Um, the way I was living my life was this. I was seeing the word of God, like, light the path in front of me, and I realized that, like, there's nothing better than this. And many of us believe this to be true. There's no life better than in Jesus, in Him lighting your path. But what I, what I failed to understand, that I was living Psalm 119 out so wholeheartedly that I forgot about Matthew 5. That says, like, actually with this light, you're not called to do this, you're called to do this. You're called to light the house with it. That it's not just, oh, like, I'm going to take this light, and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to see the power in my own life. But no, it says, no, actually, this is to be shared with everyone. Like, this, this reality that, like, God lights your path is not all of it. Pastor Scott, like, forgive me if this is not politically correct to say. He's like, oh no. I kicked off the stage. But I want to say something. I know this is not politically correct. But I want to say it because I believe this hits home our passage. It's not all about you. It's not all about you. And if you're here for the very first time or you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus died for you. That Jesus put himself on a cross to die for your sins. But if you know Jesus, then you must understand that Jesus died for you and every single person on this planet. Every person that has ever lived and every person that will ever live. That Jesus died for every single person in this room at Adventure, every person at LifePoint Christian Church, and every person in this entire globe. It's not all about you. And I know that's uncomfortable. Because I believe that we like this lifestyle, that we like seeing Jesus work in our life, and we, see, we like seeing how Jesus changes us and works in us and through us, and, and we, this is comfortable and we like it. But Matthew 5 says, no, it's more than that. That we're actually called to take the light and shine it in the house and see how it illuminates the entire house. One light has so much power, and yet we want to do this with it. Matthew 5 says, you are the light of the world. You don't put a lamp under a blanket or under a bowl and hide it. No, like, you are the light. Shine your light. I'm not calling you Jesus. I'm saying there is a power within you. 
Jesus died for you so that you may go and show that with other people. It's not all about you. And as much as this can be uncomfortable, I think the devil plays into this. He says, son, daughter, like, like you're not enough. You're broken. Like, how are you possibly going to bring someone to know Jesus? And Jesus says, I want to use your brokenness, brokenness to bring people to me. That I actually want you to go on the front lines, shine my light with people. So that people can see how Jesus is actually, how I've worked through your life. And how everything in your life is different because I have intervened in your life and changed history forever. This, friends, is what we're called to. As long as we sit back, lackadaisical, like this is like looking down at the light. Is the longer that we're actually suppressing the advancement of the kingdom of God. That God's domain in this world wants to be pushed and put. Like God wants his kingdom to be everywhere and in everyone. He died for all, for all to be saved. And we live like we're the only one Jesus died for. And that's just not right. I believe God is tugging on our hearts this morning to say, maybe, maybe Psalm 119 is not all of it. Maybe Matthew 5 is part of what God's calling you to. And I'm convinced if we look at the, like who Jesus' closest disciples were, we can see maybe a glimpse of this. Can, can, I, talk, can I talk about this for a sec? Like it says... Like, if you look, it's not necessarily all in Scripture, but there's, you know, there's stories and different things like this. Like, when we look at the life of Peter, he was martyred in Rome in 66 AD under Nero, crucified upside down. Do you think he was shining the light below him? Like, y'all, Peter martyred in Rome under Nero. He was beheaded. Andrew went to what was known as the Soviet Union, very first place, or he was the very first person to bring the gospel to that land. He was crucified. Thomas went to India and he was killed by spears. Philip uh, went to uh, Asia Minor and he was cruelly killed for, for converting the wife of the, of the Roman proconsul. Matthew was a tax collector and a gospel writer and then he was stabbed to death. Bartholomew went with many people to all different places. He was martyred for faith. Like, you get the idea. No, I'm, I'm going to read through them all though. James, like, he was stoned and clubbed. Simon was killed after refusing to worship the sun god. Matthias, like, replaced Judas and he, he, like, he wasn't even one of the main. And he died by burning. John was a major leader in the church of Ephesus and he was exiled. Guys, like, if, if we can look at anybody and say, okay, who can we think of, like, maybe the closest people to Jesus? And realize the closest people to Jesus realize that Psalm 119 is of the past. Like, yes, it's still in reality. Don't, don't hear me wrong. It's, it's still truth. But Jesus has called us to a new way of living. That we are called to shine the light in the house. We are called to shine the light to other people. And they sure got it, and they were killed for it. I'm not saying that you're being called to be killed for your faith. But what I am saying is maybe we need to take this more seriously. Will you bow your heads with me? God, uh, God I know you're in this space. And God, I, I, I know that you're present with, among us. God, I know that, that you are tugging on our hearts right now that maybe like there's more to this whole thing. 
Maybe that like our Psalm 119 version of our faith is just not enough. So God, I want to give us all a space to think about that this morning for a moment. Think about our life and with, with, with heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to think through an idea with you that maybe God's calling you to shine the light, to talk about your faith more and to share your faith more with other people. Well, with, with, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to invite you right now. I want to invite you right now. If, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you've known Him and, and you've experienced the life of Jesus in your life and it's amazing, but you're realizing maybe I haven't been taking Matthew 5, 14 through 16 quite seriously enough. That maybe like I could step it up. Maybe I could take my faith to the nations. Maybe I could take it to my, to my household or to my school or my, or my work or my areas of influence where God has placed me, then maybe I could actually do this. So right now, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to simply ask, with all heads bowed, would you raise your hand right now if you feel like God is calling you in a new way to share your faith with people, to share your faith with people that maybe you've never shared it with before? Yeah. Yeah, God, God, I pray for this space. I pray for these people. God, that you would intervene in our life and show us that maybe we're called to more. Again, I want to invite any hands to be raised. Say, God, we love you. And we thank you for this space to worship you. And God, we understand, we thank you for your son who came and died for us. But just not for us. But for every person to ever walk this earth. God, we love you. We praise you in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, can we give one more huge venture applause for, for Kobe?